Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Oh, come on. I was listening to you, you guys. All of you look tired. Goodness sakes. I know there's a lot of sickness going around, and it's cold, and it's rainy, and all that kind of stuff. By the way, you people watching online who decided not to come to church because of the freezing rain, roads are fine. Uh, just fine. Um, so, let's uh, talk about this. Um, first and foremost, I also want to say, uh, on top of the announcements and your bulletin and so forth, um, that be sure to sign up for the Storm Bratchet Blood Drive. Lynn's out there, and uh, so you can do that. 15th, I think, that this is. Wow. And here's another bit of advice. Knowing my father and the fact that he flew all the way to Brussels and they told him he had to come turn around get back on a plane and come home, if you see him this week, go the other way. <laughs> he will not be in a good mood. Uh, Kayla is here at the church all week, our children's minister, and I was talking to Kayla, and Kayla was, and Megan were telling me what was going on and telling me they had to turn around and, and fly back, and that's a long flight over the Atlantic. And uh, I told Kayla, I said, uh, I'd stay in your office this week if I, I were you. She said, oh, no, this is a good week to have COVID. Um, and speaking of that, we do have people who are not here because they have COVID, so be praying for them, it's been a long week of just everybody with sickness and, and different maladies. Uh, you know, Vicki Lewis had a health scare. She looks like she's on the mend. Uh, Ralph Clay is sick again. And so, you know, there's a lot of people to be praying for. And a lot of things that we're going to be planning on doing here at the church over the next year that you can be praying for. And uh, where is Blake? Turn the heat down. It is warm up here. Um, I am sweating. Um, one of the things we're going to do is something we used to do back in the 70s when this church started, back when I was a wee little thing, and um, our evangelism groups is to get some people together and send them out to evangelize the people who are unchurched. Because if you go out by yourself, which you should, in all likelihood you'll talk about the weather, you'll talk about the Bengals, you'll talk about whatever, and then you won't talk about Christ at all, and you'll just go home. But if you have somebody with you, there's some accountability there, and so we hope to do that. All righty. Well, <clears throat> this morning, we're continuing through Judges, and Judges 13 through 16. We're not going to cover all that, just a few verses here and there. But we're talking about the story of Samson. Now, for those of you raised in church, you know this story well. Samson was what called a judge. A judge meant that he was a person appointed by God to help the people of God against the enemies of the people of God and to help lead them. Samson was given incredible strength. In fact, he basically the rabbi said he was the strongest man who ever lived. And there were some conditions given to that, and one of them was, as you know, he couldn't cut his hair. I'm trying that myself. Um... Actually, I've just been too sick to go get the barbershop. I don't want to hack all over Jay's barbershop. Um, but the reason for that is not some kind of weird, magical thing. 
people in Israel who did not cut their hair were under what was called a Nazarite vow. And so both it was a public way of saying, I belong to God. And it was also, speaking of, a form of accountability. The problem with Samson is he's given this great gift, this great gift of strength, a great warrior, and he blows it because he sees it as his own, not as a gift from God, but something that he alone possesses. And anything, a church, a minister, any Christian, with any kind of gift, if you see that as your own, instead of coming from God for God, you will blow it. You will blow it. So the story of Samson comes down to this. He, he lives a selfish life. Um, he had, as to quote my father, a fast zipper. He liked the ladies. He liked to party. And he liked to fight, but only when it brought him glory, not so much for the people of God and for glory of God. And he goes through his life selfishly until he is fooled by Delilah, she breaks his Nazarite vow by cutting his hair, and at that point, God turns his back on Samson, and as a result, Samson no longer has the strength he once had. And so he's taken by the enemies of God. He is beaten. He is ridiculed. But then this happens. In Judges 16, 16, 28 through 30, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, or King, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. It's the Philistine temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. Let me die with the enemies of God. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Samson lives a selfish life, but he dies a selfless death. He finally does what God had ordered him to do from the beginning. Now, we look at that and we can say how much we admire Samson. Let me tell you this. I have heard as a minister, now 24 years, I have heard deathbed confessions. People come to faith in a hospice bed or when they don't think they have much time left. And I will take that, but I will tell you this. Even a person who comes to faith at the end of their life, and I do believe that can happen, What you see in their eyes is not just sadness that their life is ending, but sadness at a life wasted. That's not how you want to end up. I understand that we all love stories of self-sacrifice. When we hear stories about self-sacrifice, we we just can't believe it. We, We have admiration. 
I've been re-watching um, Ken Burns' documentary, The War, which is about World War II. And one of the people that they interview in that documentary is the late Senator Daniel Inouye of Hawaii. I worked on Capitol Hill for a couple years. I met Senator Inouye several times. Politically, he and I agreed on nothing. But I admired him. I really admired him. In fact, this has been pointed out to me, and I think it's a, it's a decent point. One of the reasons we have such sharp divisions and even hatred in our Congress these days is that compared to just 20 years ago, is there was a time when you had people in Congress like Daniel Inouye on the left and John McCain and Bob Dole on the right, and yet they were all good friends because they, were all, they all respected each other as military veterans. And unfortunately, that is largely gone now. Daniel Inouye grew up in Hawaii, and he volunteered for the Army. Even though he was of Japanese ancestry, his grandparents were Japanese, but he was born in the United States. He volunteered, and his father drove him to the boat dock where he would get on a ship, and he would sail to California, and then he would take a train all the way across the country because Japanese Americans in that time, if they weren't interned, which most of them in California were, could only fight in Europe. They didn't trust them to fight the Japanese. So Daniel Inouye, his father's driving him to the boat dock, and his father said to him, son, he said he was very quiet the entire drive, and then as I started to get to the dock, he said, son, whatever you do, remember how good this country has been to us. So you must fight with honor. Honor your country, honor your family, even if that means death. Before the war was over, Daniel Inouye would receive the Medal of Valor and two Purple Hearts. The second Purple Heart nearly cost him his life. He was such a dedicated soldier, he took his father's advice to heart, that he was decorated and given, just his rank went up and up and up on the battlefield. It seemed like every battle he was in, he would be promoted. Starting at private, he ended up as a first lieutenant. He was fighting in northern Italy. We talk a lot, if you know anything about World War II, they talk a lot about the North African campaign and, and Normandy and, and the Battle of the Balts. They don't talk a lot about Italy, but Italy was a ferocious fighting in Italy. It's rocky terrain, and by the time hundreds of thousands of British and American soldiers and Canadian soldiers poured into Italy, the Nazis had built what they called pillboxes on all the mountains. And so there were these open fields leading up to the mountains. The soldiers would have to cross these open fields, but to do so, the, the Nazis could just rain down fire on them. Daniel Inouye was charging one of these pillboxes. He had a grenade in his right hand. He was going to toss it into that pillbox. 
and he went back like this to toss it, and at that very moment, a German sniper shot him right here and blew his arm off. The shock sent him like this way, he dropped the grenade, and it mangled his right side. So, I knew that story even in the 90s, whenever I would see Senator Inouye in Statutory Hall or in the Senate chambers, I never agreed with a thing that came out of his mouth, but I respected him. I admired him. We admire stories of self-sacrifice. But here's the thing. What are you sacrificing for? Of course, it was noble that Daniel anyway was sacrificing his life, at least his body, for freedom. Because if you know anything about World War II, you will know Adolf Hitler and the Japanese had every intent of invading America at some point. They conquered all of Europe. They conquered, the Japanese conquered all of Asia. They conquered North Africa. They thought Britain and the U.S. are next. They wanted to conquer the whole world. So it was a noble thing. But as noble as that is, it is sacrifices made for Christ that echo through eternity. And it's those kind of sacrifices that I look at and I truly, truly admire. Heroic acts that save lives, that give us freedom, thank God for them. But sacrifice that brings people out of the grips of Satan and an eternity in hell to an eternal life with God. That's really something. I understand that we can look at this, and you should, at the story of Samson. And what you take away from it is, as I said earlier, how perilous it is, how dangerous it is to rely on your own gifts and not see them as a gift from God. Anyone who relies on their own gifts will ultimately fail. I, back when I became a Christian in 1997, and like I said, it's, if you hear people, if you talk to people, you invite them to church, let's say you're part of one of these evangelism groups, and you invite them to Christ Community Church, and they go, isn't that where Matt Rawlings pastors? And you go, yeah. I knew him in the 80s and 90s. He's your pastor? If they tell you a story about me in the 80s and 90s, it's probably true. I partied like it was 1999 until 1997. I did. I came to faith out of a health scare. Nobody shared the gospel with me, nobody. I was just terrified because in December of 1996 and in January of 1997, I was told at a young age that I had colon cancer. Now, I grew up, speaking of admiring, I grew up admiring my late Uncle Gene. My Uncle Gene was an impressive guy. 
He was the first person in our family to go to college, full scholarship, the University of Kentucky. He was a straight-A student. He became a full bird colonel in the Air Force. He was the commanding officer at RAF Mendenhall in England. He was an advisor to the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was, an, he, um, was the head of Air Force Intelligence, to which he had great stories. Stories I can't repeat because his language, but they were great stories. And my Uncle Gene retired from the Air Force in the late 80s, and he lived about another 18 months because of colon cancer. And I remember thinking this very clearly one night when I couldn't sleep, that my Uncle Gene was dead at around the age of 60, and he didn't drink, and he didn't smoke. He jogged at least three miles a day, and he ate pretty well. And I was thinking, okay, yeah, I'm in my 20s, but I smoke like a stack, I drink like a fish, and the only exercise I get is coughing. So I'm a dead man. And I got down on my knees and I begged God I did not know for my life. And then when that happened, I took a dusty Bible off my shelf that my sister had given me, my sister Luann, and I opened it up and I started reading it. And I read it, and I read it again, and I read it again. And so when I got to seminary in Abilene, Texas, I had a professor there named Dr. John Willis, brilliant man and a great professor. Dr. Willis was the only person I knew that could make a student wince by saying, I love you, and here's why. You would give a presentation in class, and we had to give several. And if he said, Matt, I love you, that meant what was coming next was, but you're wrong. He prefaced telling you how you were wrong, why you were wrong, with, I love you. But he got a lot of grace. If nothing else, every class, he brought a huge bunch of cookies. And he would pass them out to everyone. He used to say, because he'd have his classes at like 8 o'clock in the morning. He would have classes from 8 to 11, then he'd go to chapel, and then he'd have office hours from 1 to 2, and then he'd go off to a library somewhere and write a book. And Dr. Willis used to say, the Old Testament in Hebrew just goes better with cookies at 8 o'clock in the morning, doesn't it? Give you a little advice if you read your Bible in the morning. Yes, it does. So he would do this thing in his office hours. Everybody wanted to talk to him. So he would set it up so that Students had to basically get on a waiting list. And all of us had questions about the Old Testament. What does this mean? What does that mean? What does this mean? And I had a question for him. I've been just struggling with this and struggling with this and looking at different commentaries. And I finally got to see Dr. Willis and have my 15 minutes to sit down with him. And I said, Dr. Willis, I know that you're an expert on First and Second Samuel. And he was. He'd written books on it, First and Second Samuel. I said, I don't understand something. I said, 2 Samuel 24. God gets mad at the nation of Israel for conducting a census. I said, I don't understand why God would get mad at a census. We have a census here. Ever had the people knock on your door? I didn't understand it. I thought it was weird. I thought it was petty. I didn't get it. 
He said, Matt, why did they take the census? I said, to see how many able-bodied men they had <clears throat> from age 13 on who could fight. He said, exactly. I said, I still don't see why that's bad. He said, Matt, God did not want his people to rely on an army or their military strength. He wanted them to rely on him. And that's why he was angry. Are you picking up a theme here? God does not want his people to rely on their own strengths, but on him. One of the, the split that we went through, the only split this church has had, had a blessing and a curse to it. The curse was, of course, that it was sinful. Paul is very clear. Have nothing to do with anyone who, splits, who divides the body of God. It's sinful. It's a curse because we didn't get to worship with so many people. And it just, we have less people, we have less, less funds, we have less, it endangered what we did in Uganda. Here's the one blessing. The one blessing. When you're a large church, it's very easy to get into the mindset that we are a success because we're a large church instead of God. Does that make sense? I want you to think about this. We are at 40% of what we were seven years ago because of that split. And yet, here very soon, we will have fully trained and planted a church in Uganda. And don't applaud for yourselves or anything. Don't pat yourselves on the back. Thank God. That's how that happened. It's amazing that it happened. We paid every bill. Every bill. And it's because of God. I need to rely more on God. That's part of the danger I knew when I started my PhD program was that you can get to the point where well, I know Greek, I know Hebrew, I know what every theologian has written about this and that and all this other kind of stuff, and I can do apologetics, and I can do it, and it can become I, 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 I. Instead of God, 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 God. It's a danger there. And I need to watch my heart. And so do you, regardless of what gifts you have. So all that is a fair reading of the life of Samson. But in the end, it's not the message of the life of Samson. What does this, this passage here, what does Samson's life, what does Judges 13 and 16, how does that point to Jesus Christ? Some of you may already have caught it. Notice something. Uh, first of all, the overall picture. Samson goes. He is taken by the enemies of God. 
he is beaten, he is ridiculed, he dies to help save the people of God. Who does that sound like? And in another twist, how does he go and meet his fate? Like this? You're going to tell me God didn't know what he was doing? Samson was sinful but gave his life. Jesus was sinless and also gave his life for the people of God. Samson took God's gift for granted. We are to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we keep our gifts in correct view. And if you're going to do this, if you're going to take up the challenge or really obey the command of King Jesus, accountability helps, but the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be at the heart of it. And if you've never really understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, again, take a Bible, open it to 2 Corinthians 5.21, underline it, and go over it every single day. Because that is the gospel in summary. God gave the words to the Apostle Paul. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And that, like any gift you have, you did not earn. You did nothing to earn it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. If you think walking up here in tears and asking me to pray for you and asking me to baptize you, that you've done something, you haven't done anything. The Holy Spirit did that. I can preach the gospel. I try to preach the gospel every time I come up into this pulpit that Jesus Christ died in your place for your sins. And that if you place your faith in him, your sins are forgiven, your sins past, present, and future, and Jesus grants you his perfect life to be judged by. I will preach that in every sermon that I ever give, and if I fail to do it, shame on me. But you didn't earn that. God gave you a gift, and all you did was take it. We earn nothing. We have nothing that God did not give us. I believe the Holy Spirit was active in this trip to Uganda. I know, I know, I know, trust me, that my parents and Sean are deeply disappointed. And I know my parents very well, and I know they are going to be in a rotten mood for about a week or more. And I know that I will do everything I can to avoid them. But it was really weird. Megan and I were talking about this this morning when we were talking about how could this happen and what, you know, how ridiculous it is that the State Department let them out of the United States, but they couldn't get out of Brussels. I mean, it was just, just silly. 
But then Megan told me something else. I said, Matt said, you remember when you, you've been asking people online and in person to pray for all of them, to pray for mom, to pray for dad, to pray for Sean, to pray for Dave, to pray for them. Because it's, it's a perilous trip. It's a long flight. My parents are in their 80s. You know, it, it's, they don't, dad, mom still don't understand that in your 80s you should get some rest. They still go, 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 go. And, but Megan said, a lot of people have told me, I've been praying about this. I don't have, I don't feel good about them going. And it was funny, I got, I had an upset stomach this week. And I thought, oh no, not something else, not another, another bug. But I've been praying a lot about this, and, I, my, and my brothers and sisters were reaching out to me, and they were saying, why, why are they going to, I've, I've been reading up, there's Ebola in Uganda right now. Why are they going? I said, I said do you think I can talk them out of it? And it, Megan told me, said, do you realize that it's when your parents left that you started to get upset? Notice what Samson prays. He says, Sovereign Lord. Do you know what that means? That means king who has total control. My parents aren't going to like it, but for whatever reason, God did not want them to go. And it was a pain in the butt for them to go all that way and have to come back. But for whatever reason, God said, I'm not done with you guys in Portsmouth yet. You're not going there. Now, if he has that kind of control, that even Samson recognizes at the end of his life, a God who has total control. How much more should you recognize that in every moment of your life? I get frustrated, you know, I joke about it all the time, I only half joke, how irritated I get with traffic. I don't like people who drive slow in the left lane. And for some reason, and God bless you folks from Greenup County, I don't know why it is that so many people from Greenup County, they cross the dam in, in Franklin Furnace, and they're going to Walmart in New Boston, and for some reason, because they know they have to turn left in New Boston, they think they have to stay in the left lane from Franklin Furnace to New Boston, No, you don't. There's plenty of time. Drives me nuts. Drives me nuts. And every once in a while, I will sinfully pass them and go, you know. But my wife, she's with me. She tells me to behave and to repent. And... I have to sinfully realize that because, as Samson is even led to say, that God is sovereign, that he is in total control, that even that person driving 50 in a 70-mile-per-hour zone in the left lane, and then, of course, 
you've got the other person driving 52 in the right lane, and it's just a moving roadblock. And I get frustrated, and I get irritated, but then when I calm down, I have to realize, for whatever reason, God didn't want me going that fast. Maybe it was to avoid a wreck. I don't know. He knows. I don't know. You go through an illness and you, you ask God why. And you maybe even get angry with God. Why am I going through this? And people will come to me and ask, why is God allowing this? And I have to tell them. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. And I work for a nonprofit. I don't know. But God knows. There's some reason. An illness brought me to faith. A second illness brought me just crushed my ego. Maybe it's that way for others. I don't know. I pray for them. I don't wish it on them, but I don't know. A wise man once said, if I had all the power God had, I would change everything. He said, but if I had all the power God had and all the knowledge God had, I'd change nothing. You have to put these things together. And it starts with that, that God is sovereign. He is in total control. That is first. When you realize that, you realize how little control you have. When you realize that, you will realize that you have no gifts that are your own, and you cannot rely on them. And after that, you need to know the great cost, what it cost God to save you. That his own son had to be slaughtered on your behalf. And that that plan had been in place since before the beginning of time. You're going to see it again and again and again as we go through the Old Testament. You're going to see again and again and again and again and again how it points to the gospel. Whether it's Samson dying like this for the people of God. Well, I won't spoil it for you. We'll get there. But it's going to go again and again and again. It should show you how in control God is. It's one of the reasons, I'm going to wrap up here in a minute, but it's one of the reasons I just don't anymore get so upset and uptight about politics. I meet some Christians who just, all they want to do is argue and talk about what's happening in Washington, D.C. I'm not saying that's unimportant. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't vote or shouldn't, shouldn't be informed. They should. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying that, do you really think that God is on, was on his throne on election night going, Ooh, oh, I wonder if they're going to make it? He already knew. That whoever the speaker is, whoever the president is, God is still on his throne. And no matter how good things get in this country or how bad things get in this country, if you've read the Bible, you know it ends well. Right? I've said this before. This is what people always want me, and I don't know if we're, because if, I haven't looked all through, through, through every single 
thing that the Gospel Project has. I, I don't know what it says about the book of Revelation. I, I, I love studying the book of Revelation. I hate teaching and preaching it. Because for some reason, people get so uptight about whatever view they have about, you know, the second coming and all this other kind of stuff. Oh, man. And I used to, when I was young and arrogant, I would just, I'd, I'd argue with them. I'd debate with them. And, no, you need to understand this. You need to understand that. And then I just go, yeah, it was pointless. So now when people ask me about the book of Revelation, I say, look, this is, here's all you need to know about the book of Revelation. This is the book of Revelation in three lines. Okay? Number one, God's team wins. Number two, choose which team to belong to. Number three, don't be stupid. That's it. That's all you need to know. We win. God wins. In the end, God wins. It may be a rough trip between here and there, but in the end, God wins. So all you have to do is trust him and not waste your life or waste your gifts like Samson did. Not wait to the end of your life to sacrifice for others. Not rely on, on your minister or the size of your church. Don't rely on how much money you have in the bank or your degrees. Don't rely on your genetics or your family. Rely on God. And trust the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even if you share it with 100 people and 99% of them reject it. That's on them, not on you. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can take a 25-year-old congressional aide who just wanted to party and send them off to seminary. It can take amazing turns. Somebody had the boldness once to share the gospel with a violent, foul-mouthed slave trader. And the gospel, he, he didn't accept it, but it kept rattling around in his mind to the point where this brutal, violent, foul slave trader gave his life to Jesus Christ. Turned from the slave trade, fought to have it abolished, and wrote a song called Amazing Grace. John Newton. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's only when you understand that and accept that that you will see all that you need to see, that God is in control. This life is the shortest part of eternity. We are called to grow in our faith and make disciples of all nations. That's what we are meant to do. I think that we will see Samson in heaven one day. Because even a deathbed confession will do it. But I think even Samson would tell you he wasted his life. Let's not waste ours. Shall we pray? And then go home and start praying for the Bengals to win somehow? Which, by the way, should they not be at a neutral site? Why are they playing at Buffalo? That's not fair. Anyway, okay, I've vented. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day of, of life, and we thank you for your word. The story of Samson shows us where our true gifts come from, why we should rely on you, how it points to your son, Jesus Christ, and that when we accept your son, Jesus Christ, and make him our Lord, our King, as well as Savior, when we do this, truly take this in, we will sacrifice. We will sacrifice our time, our money, sacrifice embarrassment, sacrifice friendships to spread the gospel. May this church know this. May I know it. And may we not waste another second. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Guys, drive safe. Well, it's not that bad out there. It is January in Ohio, after all. What else do you expect? God bless you, God goes with you, and go Bengals. See ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.